than that. Now Noah's Park has their opportunity to be dismissed for children's church time. And so Noah's Park Adventures and Learning on their way out the door for their children's church time. As you are seated here, there's a couple of announcements or one announcement that I want to make. And this is one that was given to me by Karen White. And of course, we're doing uh, work with University Park Elementary in order to bless some of the children there. And so her announcement is that we still have three children on the angel tree. The angel tree is out in the foyer uh, with these few gift requests remaining to be filled. And so they'll be displayed on our Facebook friends page uh, to choose also. There's also items from the angel tree of items to give to the school for other children for Christmas. Items such as stuffed animals, yo-yos. I don't know about that one. I injured myself severely with a yo-yo as a child. Um, Play-Doh, coloring books, and crayons. Items you select can be found and purchased at the dollar store. So this is just information to let you know that any unwrapped gift items need to be received by Wednesday the 16th of December. So if you have any questions, see Beth Nelson, see Lori Williams, see Karen White, and they'll help answer those questions for you. You got your Bibles with you today. If you don't, there's a Bible in the pews in front of you. I'm going to ask you to use your Bibles as we turn to Scriptures. And so take those Bibles out if you don't have yours with you today. Open your phone up. Open your Bible up on your phone, whatever you need. If you came here today and you don't have a Bible, that pew Bible that's in front of you, let that be our gift to you. You may receive that today. And that way you'll have a Bible with you whenever you need it. And so I'm going to ask you to take those Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As, as Scott said, it is the first Sunday of December. We can sing Christmas songs without people glaring at us at this point. So that's a good thing that we can sing. I sing Christmas songs in June, right? Primarily because it's the only songs I actually remember all the words to. But you can sing Christmas songs, go ahead, but we can also preach Christmas sermons. Oh, wait, I preach Christmas sermons every Sunday. For you see, it's the fact of the matter that Jesus was given to us as a gift, God with us, that we have anything to preach at all. And so every Sunday is a Sunday of the arrival of Christ. But not only the arrival of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. And so every Sunday we get to celebrate the fullness of the gift of God. I saw in the bulletin today we had offering. I, I was, didn't know it was a song. I thought maybe we put offering back in the bulletin to pass the plates. But, you know, we, we're not doing that right now because of the COVID restrictions and all that. The plates are out in the foyer for anybody that wants to give. They can give there. But it dawned on me, that was the greatest offering we've ever been given. We didn't give it. We received it. And that was the offering of Jesus Christ to pay our sin debt in full. Are you in Luke chapter 2 yet? Amen. There we go. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he 
uh, was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Father, we just ask your blessings upon the teaching of your word today. Let me be moved out of the way that you teach your children what you desire for them to know. Your truth would break through the lies and the deceit that we are so surrounded with. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. We just read the Christ narrative of his arrival in Bethlehem, depicted by none other than Linus in the Peanuts TV show. You know that one quite well. He read it or said it very much better than I probably ever could. But as you went through those words, you notice that there's something extraordinary taking place. It's, it's a virgin birth to a woman who did not conceive naturally And in that birth of her, in that conception of receiving this gift of God that was to be to all men, she goes and she's in Bethlehem to have this baby. Do you know there is nothing man could contrive of that would even rival the gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ? We could not fathom it. We could not plan it. We could not orchestrate it. We could not create it. We could not do anything to rival the plan that God's already given us. What I'm suggesting to you today is this. What we've just read is perhaps the greatest wisdom the world has ever known. The greatest wisdom we've ever been shown in the person of Christ being born, in the time he was, in the place he was, in the manner he was, with the circumstances that were going on around him. Matter of fact, when you read through that narrative, it's easy to look at Mary a teenage mother, and Joseph, a carpenter by trade, probably barely getting by in society. How many of us can identify with that? And it's easy to look at them and understand that all of these circumstances that took place could make them feel like they were just victims of their circumstances. Like there was so much going on against them that they had to just roll with the punches and go with the flow. I mean, you just imagine all of a sudden you're told what to do from the government, by the government, and for the government. Wait, wait a minute. We're kind of seeing that, aren't we? 
But I'll get back off my political horse. See, they were told they had to go. They had to be registered for this census. They had to drop everything that they were doing. They had to travel. Uh, then they got to where they were going. There's no room for them, but she's pregnant. I'm sorry, there's no room for you in any of the accommodations that would be nice for you to stay in. They had to subject themselves to the circumstances of finding room and board somewhere else, and it ends up being in, in a stable, a food trough for animals by all means and measures for baby Jesus as she delivered this baby while they were traveling. Seems like they could very easily claim victim mentality and that their circumstances were just too overwhelming for them to do anything about. And you know what? They were right. Their circumstances were too overwhelming for them to do anything about it. But the fact of the matter is that in spite of our circumstances, God has a plan. Our circumstances don't limit the work of God. Matter of fact, it's our circumstances that God himself has at many times orchestrated in order to be a, a pedestal to display his works on so much more appropriately than we could do even of our own doing. There's nothing we could do of our own doing to show the works of God. But yet in the midst of circumstances, God can make a creative masterpiece out of his works that he does in our lives. God has a divine plan. Here in Luke chapter 2, a Savior is born in those difficult circumstances. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, begin in verse 21. You find out something about the wisdom of God that brought Christ in the midst of all of those circumstances that seem to be against Mary and Joseph. And what you find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 21 is something about the wisdom of God that unfolds like this. For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men. The arrival of Christ at such a time as that was a full display of the wisdom of God. The rebellion of the people turning against Christ and, and leveraging charges against him to put him on the cross, ultimately crucifying him, was the wisdom of God. The burial of Christ in a borrowed tomb was the wisdom of God. The resurrection of Christ coming out of that tomb was the wisdom of God. And everything that we see in the Christ event was God's wisdom on full display so that the world would be without excuse. You can still go your own way, do your own thing, let you think you're the determination of your circumstances. But the fact of the matter, if we don't give to the will of God and say we surrender all, then we're just fighting against the wind. God's will is wiser than anything man can think or do. Why is it then that there's so many rulers and leaders and people in today's society 
that can look at the full display of the wisdom of God and still shake their fist in the face of God and say, I don't care. Why is it that so many people want to kick God out of the public arena and even kick him out of the private areas of our lives and say there is no God? Why is it that the world seems to be turning against the truth that has been given in Scripture? Rulers of this day and age did the same thing, and rulers of our day and age are doing the exact same thing. The truth of the matter is they don't get the truth of the matter. They don't get the facts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You were in chapter 1. Begin in verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I will submit to you, if the rulers of this age would know the truth, it would do the same thing for them that it does for you and me, set us free. But they want to ignore it. And they want to push it aside. They don't want to fact check the truth of God against the truth of God. If they did, they wouldn't kick the nativity scenes out of the public arena. They wouldn't substitute Merry Christmas for every other thing under the sun. They wouldn't ban true Christmas songs from stores. They wouldn't remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouses of America. If the rulers of our age would simply fact check truth against truth, then they would understand that God has a plan that redeems people. Listen, how many of you have been fact-checked on social media? And do you know what fact-checking on social media is? It's an attack against truth if you were fact-checked on a biblical truth, a biblical premise, a biblical understanding that's been given to us by Scripture. And those fact-checks are nothing more than a perceived truth that social media giants are pushing on the uh, economy of people. And that's what we did even going back 20 years ago. I remember Chuck Colson having an educational curriculum out there for churches that was simply stated this way. I think it was Colson, truth matters. And his whole thing was how culture was taken and making truth relative and, and saying truth really isn't solid, truth really isn't grounded, truth is flexible, it's bendable. And, and you can have perceived truth, and that's okay. You can have relative truth, and that's okay. Or you, you can just have your truth, and that's okay. And everybody's entitled to their own truth and their own opinion. Oh, have we have not seen the fruition of that. Everybody is right in their own eyes, and they serve themselves. That's what society's been doing for a while, because they don't want the facts of God. And the present manufactured truth that we can come to is the highest point of truth. But you shouldn't be surprised, because they're doing the same thing that they did in the Gospels. They're simply following the father of lies. You're in 1 Corinthians. Flip back. Go all the way to John chapter 8. 
the world's tendency is to follow the father of lies. To follow whatever sounds right in their own mind. To follow whatever looks right in their own eyes. To do their own thing. And that's just the natural fall of man that brings us to that point. And in John chapter 8, look beginning in verse 43. Jesus asked this question in John chapter 8 verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my words. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus tell the truth? Did he always tell the truth? So help him God he always told the truth. There was not a lie or word of wrong in his mouth. Everything he did was in accord with the truth. And so Jesus speaking says, why do you not understand my speech? If he's speaking the truth and you hear the truth, should you not know the truth and the truth then would set you free? No, they didn't. And he gives a reason because you're not able to listen to my word. You've already got your word between your ears for your direction, for your life. And therefore, there's too much room going on up in there to even take the word I have for you in you're not able to listen to my word for you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it but because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. It's foreign to you. Your nature is lies. Your mind is filled with lies. And when I tell the truth to you, there's not enough room in your heart and mind to receive what I'm giving you. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin and if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Satan's been trying to destroy God's plan for a long time. He's been trying to substitute lies for truth for a long time. He's succeeded in the hearts and minds of people who have so much lies crowding their hearts and their minds out that they cannot, will not hear the truth of God. And he's trying to destroy God's plan in every aspect of the way from Genesis to Revelation. So let's do a few fact checks on Satan. Here's a few fact checks on Satan. Number one, Satan is a created being and shares none of God's attributes. This should be bolstering well for God at this point, right? We know that he's come to destroy the truth. He's trying to destroy the truth. He's trying to re replace the truth of God with relativism. He's trying to replace the truth of God with personalization of truth. Whatever you want, whatever you see, whatever you think, you do. He's doing all of that. But we understand that one one of the facts of Satan is he 
is not like God. He does not have the attributes of God. Jesus is creator God. Satan is part of that creation. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Scripture says, For of him, speaking of Jesus, and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and amen. Everything is about Jesus, culminates in Jesus and comes from Jesus. That's what we're reading in Romans 11. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created through him and for him. I wonder, in that explanation of Jesus being creator God, where does Satan fit in? In the created. For he's one of those dominions and powers that's being spoken about in that very verse itself. And so, so God created all things and Satan does not share the attributes of God. Satan was created good. God created all things, and he created them all good. In Genesis chapter 1, then God saw everything that he made. We read in verse 31, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning was the sixth day. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we read this. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we just read Genesis chapter 1, God created everything and said everything's very good. And we just read the next scripture where in him is no darkness at all. How could a God of no darkness at all create darkness? He didn't. He created everything according to his fashion and according to his plan. He created Satan as that supreme worship angel in heaven. Then what happened? He created angels, Satan being one of them, and they rebelled against God. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high God. Pride, precipitated rebellion. The truth of God didn't matter because Lucifer thought he was right in his own eyes. Didn't have room to receive what God had so freely given. Verse 15 says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. You see, punishment as a result of God's judgment. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, God created all angels, yet they chose to rebel. 
second thing I want to bring out today in the fact checks of Satan. He was created and he shares none of God's attributes. But as a created being, Satan has to rely upon what he can figure out. He has to rely upon what he can figure out. We've been speaking about it this morning. Scott, I'm so glad God prompted your heart to talk about being filled by the Holy Spirit. That's what he prompted my heart in, and we didn't talk about that. You are filled by the Holy Spirit, child of God. That means the wisdom of God, the truth of God, doesn't have, shouldn't have the separation of me, 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 blocking it out of the way. It should have free and clear access to your hearts and your minds. It shouldn't be fettered by the sins that can so easily entangle and weigh us down. It should be free to come and guide and garner our, step, garner our steps to where he wants us to go. Satan doesn't have that. You see, you have one up on Satan in that he's not enlightened nor empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has to rely upon what he can figure out and only upon what he can figure out. God ain't going to help him. He helps you. But Satan can listen and read. And he knows according to Micah chapter 5 that Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And, And he also knows that the speaking of the Holy Spirit to the prophets has ceased within the Old Testament times. And he knows there's been a 400 year span of time at which time we had the Maccabean revolution and things like that taking place in Israel. And he understands that the season is getting right. And so what does he do knowing some of the things he can understand and some of the things he can figure out on his own? He starts infiltrating the whole promised land with these demons. You ever wonder why so many demons are present when Jesus' activity is there in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria? Why is that the case? Because Satan is unleashing an all-out war against Jesus to try to undermine him and cover the truth once and for all. And that's why Jesus is casting out demons. The apostles are casting out demons. Supernatural miracles that are atypical is taking place over and over again. Satan read. He knew the Messiah was coming. He began garnering his troops where he wanted them to be. Proximate timing could be guessed. And that concentration of demons in the Holy Land was part of his offensive. Satan was lying in wait. C.S. Lewis noted this, though, in the screw tape letters. As we looked at some facts about Satan that he's created and he doesn't share the attributes of God, he's created and he can only rely upon what he can figure out. C.S. Lewis says this when it comes to us looking into these matters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Scripture says it. They exist. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You notice we don't talk about Satan very much not because he's not real it's because he lost folks satan lost he was defeated 
because of the wisdom of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Scripture says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. When we look at the manger, we see one of the greatest pictures of the wisdom of God, my friends. It's not just a cute baby in a, in a depraved setting that, 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 that pictures something that we can read into. No, my friends, it is God's wisdom on full display. We're going to look further at this next week, but I want you to see this today, that when you look at the manger, Satan is quaking in his boots because he knows that God's promises are coming to fruition, and he's going to do everything he can to try to stop it, try to subvert it, try to change it but it's not going to happen why because God is in the circumstances and whatever you're going through today God's there you say wait a minute I'm not Jesus I'm not as important as Jesus why would God superintend my life and the steps that I take. You're right. You're not as glorious as Jesus. He's righteous. He's exalted. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But in his exalted state, he saw you as worthy enough to send his son to die for your sin. Not that that worth was there at the beginning, but that having received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he imparts his very own worth and his very own nature and his very own glory and his very own righteousness into you. Now, my friends, if, if the blood of Jesus was spilt for you, then don't you think he's going to carefully and triumphantly and victoriously superintend the things that happen in and around you so that even in the circumstances where you don't seem working, you know he is because he's got more glory to come out of your life than you can even start to perceive. That baby in the manger, what Mary, what Joseph, what they all had to go through, they might not have known what God was doing, but God was doing. And in your life, I promise you, he's got a gift of doing. But you're just going to have to trust him. When the wise men showed up, we're going to talk about this a little next week. Do you think old Joe, Joseph, knew what he would do with those gifts? Yet, you know, he had to flee to Egypt. How was he going to pay for that trip? God was there. You might not know what God's doing, but he does. And that's a fact check you can see all throughout Scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the glory that you've instilled in us. You created the worth. You gave the worth. And we're just simply blessed to be able to walk in the truth 
God, I pray that we don't get encumbered by the things around us. I pray we don't get distracted by the lies. I pray that, God, we look for, discover, and act on the truth that you've given us. So that that victory that you've already won for us could be realized in the days we live and in the steps that we take, no matter the circumstances around us. Father, I pray for this and all things in Jesus' name. Amen.